What is up, y'all? My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. And welcome back to our long-awaited part two of our drunk mystery in history. Yay, welcome. Mm. Took a cheese it in a wine break and never came back. <laughs> My dog looked like cottage cheese. <laughs> Honestly, I like I audibly gasped. The gasp that I gasped when you sent that photo, it was horrifying. I'll just obviously say my probably <sighs> might as well. Ugh. My puppy Sip. got bit or stung by something and had a horrible reaction and um it was just terrifying. She woke me up at 4 a.m. scratching really bad. And when I turned on, I got up with her, I turned on the light. I like, <gasps> I audibly like freaked out because she was swollen everywhere, like covered in lumpy hive things. And there were big ones, there were small ones, they were literally all over. Mm. And, um, in her snout and her face too it was just like swollen and it was just really scary and where i live there's no 24-hour vet er's or hospitals so i i was awake until you know since 4 a.m and just waited to take her to the vet to the hospital which is just a normal vet's office yeah but luckily they saw her they treated her and she's better so it was just really scary yeah but thankfully she's good. Thank you to everyone who wished us or wished us wished Cora. <laughs> like did anybody? Um, you know, so people <laughs> liked the photo. <laughs> people liked the photo. No one it's fine. No, yeah, one podcast uh, said something. Shout out. Oh. Well, now that we're all traumatized, let's talk about something that's going to traumatize us even further. Maybe this will make me feel less bad. No. Well, about my problems. Maybe. It'll make me feel bad yeah. but about what, whatever you're talking the world. about and not my problems. You know? Yeah. This is, um, yeah, um, every trigger warning in the book with this one, if you're uncomfortable with anything at <laughs> all, don't listen to this episode. It is, I don't think I'll ever do one like this again, probably. Um I guess it happens with times of war, but this one is fucking oh God. terrible. It's um, a lot to take in, and something that they don't teach in the U.S. in the U.S. education system. Well, they don't teach a lot, really. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> apparently, like they may teach it in a college level course or two if you get into the advanced one. I didn't even go into my regular college history classes, so like I have no idea. But, yeah, it's advanced probably for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's why we started this segment was to talk about the dark things in history that people don't like to talk about um, because it needs to be heard about even if it's difficult to hear. And by golly gee, this one takes the cake, takes the prize. It. it uh, there's a book. 
I don't recommend reading it if you want to stay the same person that you are. I'm not, like, <laughs> there were multiple times I, I had to go outside and just sit in the sun for like five minutes and just think happy thoughts. It's one of those things. Um, so the book is called The... And it's the title of what I'm talking about, so spoilers. It is titled The Rape of Nanking, The Forgotten Holocaust of World War II. It is by Irish Chang, and she goes way more into historical detail about it, as well as very detailed detail of what goes on. So just be warned, uh, it is a very heavy read. And don't look up photos or don't even look up the... I thought you were saying don't look up. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Yes, look up now. Uh, Don't look up photos or don't look up the wicked... Don't Google the case. Don't Google this if you don't want to see photos that are associated with it. And they get really bad. Even on the Wikipedia page, it's very very bad. Mm. Uh, So, like I said... I will be talking about the Rape of Nanking, otherwise known as the Massacre of Nanking, or from the traditional name, the Nanjing Datusha, which I'm so sorry, I know I mispronounce. Good job. But here we go. Like any of my cases, it all begins with the TikTok. A Minnesota man who owns a pawn shop apparently had a customer come in and wanted to sell him a photo album. So the owner, Evan Kale, was rather shocked when he opened this album and found them to be photos of this event, of this Najing massacre. I'm going to go between Nanking and Najing. I believe Najing is the present term for it, but during the 1930s when this event happened, it was Nanking. So if y'all get confused, I'm so sorry. I have it kind of typed in both ways throughout my notes. Same thing. Same thing, technically. He does have these photos on his Twitter account, which you can go through, but be warned, they, some of them are okay, but some of them do get gruesome. And of the photos, he said somehow the guy who took these photos was present for the rape of Nanking. He took about 30 photographs that are unknown to history that are worse than anything I've seen on the internet and color. And these photos that he's looking at are in black and white. Mm. To explain the more historical aspect of what was going on, before World War II began, East Asia was already beginning to succumb to the Japanese military. In 1931, they would take over Manchuria. Uh, They would, from there, go on to take Kahar and Hof in 1935. And then from here, they would take Peking, Tinstin, and finally Shanghai in 1937. And when they took over Shanghai, which was one of the bigger cities in the area, they would then set their sights onto Nanking. Now, Nanking was... China's most developed country, or sorry, most developed city in China. It was towards the east, and it was actually the nation's capital at the time. Hmm. When Shanghai... Sorry. Okay, I'm so sorry if this is a dumb... Even though there are no dumb questions. If this is a dumb question. Didn't know Um, any of this before I looked it up, so go ahead. um, Can, and obviously the United States... This is a general question. Uh, Can places just, like, decide to change what their capital is? 
I guess so. So I do know that Nanking had just become the Republic, like not even 10 years prior. I think 1928 or 1927 was the f- foundation of Nanking be- being the public, or sorry, the capital of China. So in China, because I, I did watch a documentary, Battle of China. It is on YouTube. Again, don't watch it if you don't want to see nasty stuff. Um, but they did say that, like, China had been around for 4,000 years. So obviously, they just changed it to that. But yeah, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, if you, like, want something legislatively hard enough, you could, if you're, like, uh, ruling just makes me wonder like how long has austin been the capital of texas yeah not forever we just overturned a supreme court decision not that long ago like anything is fucking possible (laughs) so yeah this place had just become the nation's capital and was kind of like the hub and bub bub of china at the time So when Shanghai, which I don't know for sure if it was like the second biggest, but it very much seemed like it was the second biggest. I know that they had at one point attempted to capture Shanghai before and they were not able to. And so they went around and captured all like the Tintin and I'm so sorry, I'm saying all of them wrong, but they were capturing all of those. And then finally they went back and they were able to get Shanghai once they kind of captured more of the opposite direction of where they were coming from. And so when the Japanese finally came in and took Shanghai, people in China began to fucking panic. The Chinese military went on what was called a scorch the earth campaign. And I guess it makes sense, but I don't know if the villages or forests that they burned down had any reprieve because they would literally go and burn villages down, burn forests or areas down. And they did this because they did not want Japanese armies having anything of value. So they just burned their supply. So when they, they, I guess we're going to go raid these villages, because they were all villages near Nanking. So they were like, I, I don't want you stealing from this village. You're going to steal from it anyway. So I'm just going to burn it to the ground before you steal it, which I mean, yeah. Yeah. I just Can't hope, steal you know, anything if there's nothing to steal. <laughs> yeah. Just like get the people out and like maybe give them some coin for their burnt down houses. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's some method to the madness. A little bit, a little bit. Um, They caused 20 to $30 million in damage. And that was in 1937 money. So I didn't convert it. So I'm not as, I'm not that good at converting. I don't know. It's probably over 100 for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot. I got varying numbers here and there. <clears throat> Anywhere from like one third to two thirds of their land was destroyed from arson. I don't like believe that it was solely the scorched campaign because as we later find out, the Japanese do come and do some torching of their own. Uh, but we do lose a lot of the land to arson during this time. Well, and you don't technically lose the land. The land yeah. is still there. You just it lose what you tort. The resources. The mm-hmm. Buildings and whatever was in them. Yeah. 
They were also, the Chinese were also super scared of losing their army to this battle in Nanking because the Japanese, after they got Shanghai, were making a beeline toward Nanking. And so they said, all of our Chinese troops, like the majority of you, except for maybe like the bottom 1%, get the fuck out. We don't need you there. Um, You can go ahead and leave. And so they left the city with about 100,000 to maybe 300,000, but I'm thinking more like 100, 150. But they left around 100,000 soldiers, most of whom were not trained, Hmm. to protect the village. I would be kind of okay with this if uh, they didn't tell their citizens not to leave. Because when citizens were wanting to leave, the government was like, no, don't evacuate. I don't really know why they said that, um, but they told them not to. People towards the end were like, uh, we don't really care. We're going to leave anyways. And so some citizens did flee. And by the time that Japanese troops did arrive, it was said that around 500,000 citizens remained within the city. Um, out of, but I like... Don't, I didn't say, I know, I was just, because I don't know, Mm. I don't know. I wouldn't imagine that much. I I hope, I hope. I really pray, and I hope. There are also, like, um, because I did read through some accounts of um, survivors, and there were refugee areas and surrounding areas outside of Nanking, and those would also get attacked, unfortunately. Oh. So it's just, I don't know. Don't, like, I just, why do we war? Why do we war? War doesn't make sense to me. It's, mm. anyhow. <laughs> Watching Game of Thrones won't change your mind. Oh my God. When I watched Game, I just started Game of Thrones. Literally, I'm, I know, I know, don't say anything. But I, Watching Game of Thrones and doing this, I was like, wow, it is <laughs> side by side. I'm literally just like watching what is happening. Oh my god. Yeah. Warlord Tang Shengzi would be left behind to protect the city with the 100 or so thousand troops. And he told the troops and the Japanese people, we're not going to surrender or we're going to fight to the death. On December 1st of 1937, the Chinese government would leave Nanking, and shortly after, the president will leave on the 7th, even though they told their citizens to stay. And this left the safety of Nanking up to this committee that was committed, that was... (laughs) Sorry. So sorry. (laughs) The committee was fucking committed. Committed to to saving lives. (laughs) By this committee that was founded by a guy named John Rabe. Now, when the government left the city, and really, like, all the officials, really all that was left, I guess, that, like, kind of maybe had power were these um, Western travelers that came in to either do missionary trips or they were like a journalist in the area so these people were there when everyone left and they were like oh my gosh we need to 
figure something out, have some kind of like government or some kind of leadership going on. So basically so, all the leadership and government left. And beside, left it to a bunch of white guys. Besides the people who lived in the town and the soldiers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these Westerners that decided right. to stay behind. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so they commit... And not well, the fucking war uh, chief or whatever? Well, the warlord was, like, outside of the gates protecting. Oh. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. And, like, they... Granite, for them, like, they didn't go in and, like, colonize like you think they would. They actually really did um, end up saving. I think at the end, John Rabe ends up saving maybe, like, 200 to 250,000 lives. Oh, wow. So he actually, like, yeah, we don't we don't hound on them, you know. They're, they're the good guys. Eh. I was gonna say, um, John Rabe? What kind of fucking Chinese name is that? <laughs> no, he's white. These these are all white men that come in and they can... The, uh, Just the committee, though. Yeah, the international There's not committee that, for yeah. ran, the international committee for Nanking safety zone. So it was fifteen of the twenty-two foreigners that decided to stay. Huh. Granted, like a good majority of these foreigners, like a day or two into the massacre, dipped out. As you know, I would have too. It was fucking dangerous. Um, it's just unfortunately there wasn't like really much that they could have done to save what I'm the people that I'm about to talk about. But mm. it's just with a. But what they were able to do because these guys were okay. So like we don't hound on John Ray, but we hound on John Ray a little bit because um I did read he was like a a German Nazi ish a Nazi um hold on a German nationalist and Nazi. So I did read that he was a Nazi, which is not cool, but thank you for saving the hundreds of thousands of lives that you did. Uh, because he was in, I don't know, like knew the law that if Chinese military were not in certain areas in Nanking, that Japanese could not touch the citizens or could not harm anyone within a certain vicinity uh, of them not having a Chinese trooper in that area. That makes sense. So what John Rabe and the people in his committee did was they basically talked all of the Chinese military troops into getting the fuck out of this certain area. Oh, it said somewhere the square footage. I'm so sorry. I didn't write it down. If you really want to know, you can Google it. Uh, but it did say that it was about the size of New York's Central Park. So some fairly big. Well, what was the size of? The safety zone. Oh. And so they would mark red cross flags around the border of this safety zone so people and japanese troops would know hey don't fuck with this area technically you're not allowed to come in here which we kind of learn like japanese commit a lot of war crimes during this time uh mostly in part because they don't give a fuck about rules so they do end up breaking this rule slightly so it doesn't protect them asthma like it's not a free like safe zone or it's like sorry what am i trying to say it's not like a safe zone per se you still can get taken but guaranteed yeah but the risk of you getting taken in there is way less than if you were just like outside of this safe zone free ball in it because we have to take into account what kind of mentality these troopers have before we get into the brutality that is the nanking massacre 
A contest that I found that was highly talked about throughout researching this event was a contest that happened between two Japanese officers. Their names were Toshiaki Mukai and Tushio Tsuyoshi Noda, and they were the 16th Division oh, in Japanese Army. <laughs> Imperial something. They had an official title. I'm so sorry. Not really sorry. But they had a contest going on as to who could kill the first hundred people with a sword. Uh. The goal was to try and kill a hundred before they reached Nanking. And thankfully for their shitty skills, hopefully, they did not reach that goal. So Mukai had killed 89. Probably not shitty. I know. I'm like, what if there just wasn't that many people to kill before they got there? And also, this is another thing that I could totally see in Game of Thrones. Yes. (laughs) So, Mukai had 89, which I'm like, holy shit, that's really close to 100. Yeah. Uh, Noda had 78. And when they got to Nanking and both realized that they didn't have 100, they were like, okay, well, let's just, like, keep the contest going until they reach 100. (laughs) I would have been like, I killed more, I win. 89. Um, same just like keep it like that but no they did it um i don't know they went into nanking did their thing and by the time they met back up and they were like how many have you killed it they had passed 100 and they were like oh well we can't determine who got the hundredth first so may as well just make it up to 150 so they i don't know and thankfully i don't know honestly who won the contest uh if they didn't reach the number but they would end up being tried as war criminals and executed so the contest the winner of it we don't know but uh, like they would after die. the whole non-king thing yes so we do find out that non-king lasts uh they get executed in 1948 that's because it took japanese troops like eight years to leave so yeah, I get a little bit into it later on, but it takes them a while to leave. Um, I'm sure that they hit the 150 mark by then, <laughs> yes. but we just, like, we don't know the winner of it. I honestly, like, I don't care to give them the limelight of knowing who won. <laughs> it's so annoying. But I I wouldn't hope, but, like, they definitely reached that. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, yeah. And if they didn't, they reached it but then also like imagine all the other things they did besides killing people with their swords yes like i don't care how many people they killed with their swords because and i I get into the all the other shit they they do probably yeah so these are the kind of troops that are basically about to attack this huge village with five hundred thousand citizens in it now a lot of, like, the historical side of it, you know, I, I was learning for the first time when I did this. If you don't trust me, totally valid. Definitely read the book because um, I do the best that I can. So it is blamed on this one general that I talk about because, spoiler alert, he gets killed um, for his war crimes. I know <laughs> that's... a lot of spoiler I'm, alerts for this. I know. I'm Spoil. just like, read the book. Read the book. But uh, he ends up um, kind of, I guess, taking a lot of the blame uh, f- for this. This is also a highly de- 
debated topic that I'm talking about, and I'm not trying to be debateful while I'm saying it. I'm just... Like the whole non-king thing is highly debatable? Yes. Is that why it's called the forgotten? Mm -hmm. Or just because it's overlooked by the German Nazi Yeah, I get get into it. Like, people weren't allowed to talk about it for a while. And then, like, China and Japanese would definitely have beef. And I get into that, too. Um... Where was I going? Sorry. I feel like, um, I don't even know. No, I remember. I remember. But. Like, where am I? No, I actually don't remember. I was like, oh, good for you, girl. No, I actually don't. Getting on, staying on track. Yeah. So as you can figure, I don't know what the fuck is going on. But a lot of the blame was shifted on this one imperial general guy who does end up getting murdered, murked for his war crimes that he commits. But what I also found is that there was this other person who was a member of the royal imperial family who was basically said to be the cause of everything and like why things got as murky as they did. But also keep in mind that these are kind of the soldiers that are behind this murky man and these soldiers are also murky. So it was just like not good from the get. Right. But we are introduced, or at least I'm introducing you to this guy named Prince Yash... Yasuhiko Asaka. Now, he has a fucking broken ego. Oh. On December 5th of 1937, he is actually sent away to take over and kind of lead Nanking because his boss or, like, someone that he works for that is higher up basically said you're not doing that good of a job. And in order for you to make amends with this little group that we're in, you need to go to Nanking and do a good job. And so he's all butthurt. He gets sent over. It takes him about three days to get there. So around the 8th, December 8th, 1937, he gets to the Nanking border and is surrounded by the hundred or so thousand troops, Chinese troops that are attempting to protect Nanking. Now, unfortunately, the troops didn't do that good of a job. Like I said, not a lot of them were trained. So by the time Prince Asaka had got there, they were actually talking about surrendering. But once Prince Asaka got there, he was just really not having it. He was like, I have something to prove. And so in order to prove this, I'm going to give a kill all the captives order. Now, there is a lot of debate, particularly between the general that I'm going to talk about later. I didn't write his name down. That's why I'm not talking about him. Uh, Between his account and the truth. Uh, So a lot of blame (laughs) is shifted kind of off Asaka and onto his lower level employees, if you would Uh, so say. His... uh, Thank you. I was like, <laughs> what are they called? <laughs> there. So uh, a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Isamu Cho is said to give this kill all the captives order without the consent of Prince Asaka, and this is the true reason why things got bad. Do I think that I I wasn't there, so I don't know. But... I can make a, a slightly educated guess on 
mm-hmm. that not being the case <laughs> because me, me i'm too. sure any lower level so soldier and a colonel is not lower level by the way that's upper level but still lower to the mm-hmm. dude um yeah. someone of that of any lower level status would know making a decision like that without any kind of command or approval or approval of command, um, they would like be killed or something, you know, like <coughs> they wouldn't do that. Big no, no. Why went down the wrong bike? Oh, exactly. And watching fucking Game of Thrones, that shit will get you killed. So don't doubt it for a second that he was, they just, they needed a fall guy. A fall guy is what they needed and they found one. Sorry if that's uneducated of us to say, but <laughs> you watch two seasons of Game of Thrones and tell <laughs> me. <laughs> Kristen, mostly everyone by now has watched all of them. I know. And you know, I'm They're only slightly on ahead of, of you. I only started watching them five months ago. Oh my so. god, it's just, I don't know. Well, one, I or only it. got, I, I only got HBO Max like a year ago. So I had to finish Euphoria first, you know, oh, yeah. like that took some time and just, you know. So on December 9th, they do give a final pushback effort or a final attempt to say, non-king, if you want to surrender, you can. And so though I did hear that there was talk of them wanting to surrender, though I think that maybe like more so some of the troops that were fighting rather than the people... Oh high up um they they didn't they wanted to surrender yeah because uh sorry the one warlord uh tang he that up above that i had mentioned way previously i mean from the get he was like no we're gonna die fighting and so like he very much so meant it yeah that's why when you when you mentioned talks of surrender i was like really yeah he was so against that so obviously, um, it wasn't him talking about surrender. Uh, Wait, give me two bullet points. Okay. And so they do make a final push, like say, hey, and this is where I think they maybe do like the put the guns down, we can leave if we want to. Um, they gave him 24 hours, but nothing was said to be sent during this time. They sent the surrender note on like little leaflets, and I guess they dropped him into town. They didn't hear anything. The <laughs> Japanese commander dropped. Like, well, because they birds. <laughs> I guess, or they fucking like wadded it up and threw it around. I don't. <laughs> this isn't like fucking twenty twenty two. You can't shoot a text. I know, hey, but it's girly, also not want to stop 1800s. the war. It's it's literally not even a hundred years ago, and that's what blind, blows my mind. But like the internet wasn't invented until I know. fucking. <laughs> what did we they're use not before the internet? Email, they're not sending emails like, hey, want to surrender or what? Morse they usually send it. a messenger on horseback or something. Uh, maybe they thought it was too... Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe they thought it was too dangerous. <laughs> I said that... <laughs> it said that they sent leaflets over into the city. Maybe it was a messenger. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to get a fucking dramatic. I'm trying to get a dramatic. I'm trying to get a dramatic, a dramatic effect here. Yeah. They got their dragon and they dropped it into the city. Yeah. Child's play. I'm glad this is light because it's about to get so dark and there are just oh. no jokes to be had. Okay, oh so. Oh, I bet you I could find one. But I, I, I really, I really fucking hope that you don't actually. I don't feel like, I don't feel like editing out all the canceled bits. <laughs> okay. 
Oh, it's so fun. You lose your spot. So they made a final attempt to push for surrender. However, they did it. Probably a messenger, whatever. They didn't get a response. The general Iwain Matsui, who is the guy who I was holding on to. So this general Matsui is the one that kind of like takes a lot of the blame for what is about to go down. Um, mainly because I guess he's like the big guy in charge, but he also like takes a lot of the blame off Prince Asaka by either uh, taking the blame himself or pushing it onto one of the lower. I don't mm. think he actually takes it himself. I think he pushes it onto the lower. Comrades. He, he handled better. the blame. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, he yeah. took the blame and put it somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So by the 10th, with no word of response, he even waited an hour over what he said he would originally would. General Iwain Matsui commanded the army. All right, no one surrendered. Let's go ahead and take them by force. They would attack the walls through multiple places, uh, though it's crazy because Japan was like in the Battle of China it kind of goes into detail about it. It was like one-sixth the size of fucking China. But it was able to conquer this huge nation. And it's one, they China was kind of broken up. Even though China is one big nation, it was broken up into little semi-little nations, yeah. I guess. Ruled by different little armies and whatnot. And China, though it shouldn't have, spent a lot of its time reinforcing itself. It truly is amazing how war tactics can be like, you can have a small army, but pull certain tactics to where you seem bigger or you can just completely pull it off. It's amazing. Yes, because like I had said, at one point, like they had tried attacking Shanghai and they lost like they didn't win and so they went they rethought it out and they came up with a fucking amazing plan for them it's not amazing in general but it's just like it really worked out for them and it just so happened that like no one else really cared (laughs) It's, it's really shitty to say but like Japan was able to take over all of these small countries or regions within China because they knew it wouldn't start a war if they took over these smaller regions bit by bit. And then it just so happened that when World War II started, that fucking, like, was the biggest cover-up for them and they could, you know. Mm. It was just all, like, really good timing and just really good planning out. So they would attack the gate by from multiple places because it's kind of is described i don't know if it's completely walled in but it's a big kind of walled in maybe particular like guarded area they went under heavy artillery fire and it got to the point where even though general tang shang chi would say we're going to die fighting for this like it had gotten so thick in the fight that he was just like retreat retreat but when this happened it caused even more chaos and the chaos that was going on because some of the Chinese men were already running away. (laughs) They were not like, when I see war, like I understand how people have PTSD because I don't understand how you could force me to be in a situation like that. It, It is terrifying. So men were already beginning to run away. I guess like 
Tang is yelling in the midst of battle, so not everyone's hearing that he just surrendered in the midst of battle. So when soldiers are running away, other Chinese soldiers are going and shooting them in the back for running away because they're like, how dare you cowards? Yeah, you're deserting, like stay and fight. And I'm like, I'm telling you, it is described as chaos. I leave... I don't get descriptive in the stories, but the stories are fucking wild. And if you are interested, they're there if you want to read them. Chinese soldiers would go into the town and, like, begin to strip off citizens. One, in order to get their clothes. So, like, the... Yeah, so they could put on citizen clothes. And two, so even if they did strip naked, there were other citizens that were naked. So it wasn't, like, crazy looking. You couldn't tell. Chinese citizens would begin to loot their own stores for supplies because they were like, I need to get my own stuff so I can survive before the Japanese troops come in and take it for themselves. Yeah. Oh, God. And I like just total chaos ensued. Uh, it is a little kind of unknown at what date the official massacre started because the massacre hasn't started yet. Oh, fuck, uh, I forgot that the fucking title involved a massacre. Because obviously a war right can too. be a massacre, but... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but by December 13th-ish, 12th, 13th, the first Japanese armies would make their way into Nanking City. Here's where I end the fun part. If I'm I'm not even joking. If you don't want to be happy for the rest of your life, continue on. But this it's going to get bad. The massacre was said to last from December 13th, 1937 to March 1st, 1938. So about a total of 6 weeks and this was in Nanking, China, like I had been uh saying, like I've been saying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's still there. <laughs> So this is happening within about a six-week period, at least the historical point of the massacre. This does not mean that it was limited to those six weeks. Like I had said previously, Japan would occupy Nanking for a total of eight years until World War II ended and they had to surrender it in 1945. So I don't think that it was as brutal definitely wasn't as brutal uh but a lot just in smaller amounts of what i'm saying was still said to have gone on on the 13th the japanese troops would actually enter the safety zones that i had talked about as well as the city in general so this is one of the times where it is not you know they disrespect those rules but this was in For them, their excuse was that they are looking for Chinese soldiers that have stripped off their clothing and are posing as citizens. They would gather thousands of men, able-bodied men. They, a lot of them were said not even to be soldiers. It just was someone that if you looked like you could probably like lift something and run, you were going to be taken and- so anyone ranging from like the age of seven to seventy, probably. Assuming, yeah. oh my god, yeah. assuming. Here. Assuming, who knows? 
on December 18th, an event would happen that is now known as the Straw String Gorge Massacre. This occurred when they took all of these men that they either thought were soldiers or they were prisoners of war that they had with them and would take them over to the Yangtze River with their hands bound behind their backs. They would be said to be divided into four columns and the Japanese soldiers were then said to open fire on these men. In journal entries that were later found of this event, it described how it would take over an hour for the sounds of death to stop emitting from these men. Mm. And that it would take even longer for the soldiers to go and bayonet each one afterwards. Thousands more would be led away and executed in masses like this. Uh, There was one thing that I read that was known as the 10,000 corpse ditch. And this was a ditch that was said to be 300 meters long and five meters wide. That was just filled with bodies. Historians said that about 12,000 bodies were said to be in this ditch. And that is historians putting it on the lower side of estimates that I saw. The numbers in the ditch ranged from 4,000 to 20,000. So they took that average of 10 and (laughs) named it that? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) U.S. news correspondents F. Tillman Durbin and Archibald Steele spoke of mounds that surrounded the Nanking Gate that were about six feet high in length and how uh, these mounds were bodies. Mm. Estimates that were later done tallied the death of the civilians and prisoners of war that were killed during the Nanking Massacre in this six-week period to be over 200,000. Wow. And that is me going on the lower end of estimates. Uh, It was said in some articles that it was maybe around 350,000. Oh, And this is another thing that is highly debated upon between historians, between the Chinese and Japanese governments later on. Um, But from what I can tell, no one puts it at under 100,000. Everything is at least over. That is um, an average of 4,761 bodies a day of the six weeks. In the book, one historian estimated that if the dead of Nanking were to link hands, they would stretch from Nanking to Hangchow, which is a town that's about 200 miles away. (gasps) Fuck. Yeah. To kind of put into perspective, it, this is seen as like the biggest massacre at the time. Um... The bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, 140,000 and 70,000 respectively. The they the book that I had read. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Chang. I forget your first name, but she had said that there was like a Roman massacre that had happened previously had less bodies than that. This was really like multiple massacres in like 
multiple times in human history where we have been so violent and so yeah. murderous towards one another and this is the one that cr- was deemed the most violent and but, it was really unfortunately it really fucking sucks but it was the 20th century that brought us to a new era because when hitler came he killed six million jews when well, stalin was, came well, he, yeah. gonna say like at at the time but at, that at same the same time was at the also the holocaust happened yeah right they were next door neighbors and that's why i think like non-king is so often overlooked is because the holocaust literally happened right beside it and we just don't we just don't tend to think about that because when we think of world war ii we think of the holocaust not this town and the capital of china china that be literally was massacred and just the most obvious and just outlandish i mean it 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 was crazy it's crazy it was really crazy to read about um but yeah stalin killed about 40 million russians so i didn't even think about like when i heard stalin i was like holy fucking shit the hui people a minority group in china with the majority of these people being muslim were also not safe during this attack of nanking a mosque was said to be filled with deceased bodies. And when the Hui volunteers went and went in to bury their people, they said that over 100,000 of their own people had been killed. So I'm not sure if that's tallied in with the estimates, but mm. a really big trigger warning for sexual assault. Over 20,000 women, and this is just women were said to be raped or gang raped during the time. There were some estimates that did put it at around 80,000. The ages of this ranged from infants to the elderly. And you could be pregnant and they did not care. Many soldiers were even said to go door to door after the capture of Nanking in pure search of women to rape. One diary entry from Minnie Vautrin spoke of how a truck was carrying around what he described as eight to ten girls. And as they passed him, they were calling out Jui Ming, which means save our lives. It was said that their breasts would be sliced off. Uh, They would often, the more common form is that they would be pierced by some kind of object the most common being bayonets bamboo sticks or other objects and if they were not immediately killed so it was said a lot of these women would be killed more often than not for resisting Uh, but if they were not killed and kept alive they would often be kept as comfort women for the japanese troops I did find one entry that stated by, I don't know if he was like a commander or something, but it had described how Japanese garrison troops consisted of roughly 25,000 soldiers. And of these 25,000 soldiers, 141 comfort women were served for all of these soldiers. So the number of soldiers to which one 
comfort woman was given was about 178 soldiers per one of those 151. Jesus per one of those, Christ. yeah, 141. Oh, 41. Women. Sorry. Yeah, it. There, I wasn't like I. I don't include stories, but there was one in particular that just was really heartbreaking. Where she is, I think, like 15 or 16, and she's talking about how they basically used her until she got so sick that no one looked like like no one wanted to touch her because she appeared so sick and that's the only reason that she survived it's fathers would be forced to rape their daughters uh, sons would be forced to rape their mothers and the remainder of the family would be forced to watch this monks would be forced to break their celibacy and rape the women that japanese troops saw fit and Chinese men who did not take monkhood would be forced to rape corpses. And it was said that anyone who resisted this would be sentenced to death, would meet death. Good God. Of the methods that would be used during this time, uh, decapitation was said to be the most common. Ooh, yeah, I saw that picture you sent me of... Like, just all the heads. Yes. Sorry, did I beat uh, you to the punch? No, no, because I wasn't even going to tell them about that. Okay. <laughs> There's a picture of a bunch of heads, y'all. <laughs> Please do not uh, look up this case if you don't want to see that. Um, but it would it range again. from burning them. They would often nail them to trees or to walls alive. They would hang them from their tongues by iron hooks or often bury them alive or at least up to their waist. And so German shepherds could attack them from their waist up. As in the dogs? Yes, German shepherds. So the Japanese soldiers had soldier German shepherds? Mm Mm-hmm. I guess so, yeah. Ravenous ones? Um, and this is, and they would also, like, beat and rape people to death, so. Every fucking possible. Uh, yeah, by every possible, we do mean every possible, because it was even said that, uh, some cannibalism (gasps) went on from time to time. Okay, yeah, the one thing we hadn't mentioned. Yeah, the one thing, and now we've hit, it's, um, every, yeah, everything. Even the Nazis, the German Nazis, and even, like, some of the higher-ups that began to hear of the atrocities that were happening in Nanking were, like, fucking horrified. They were like, what? That's actually... Sorry. So even though more people were killed in the Holocaust by the Nazis... The Nanking massacre is still considered more vicious. Ooh, I forget if maybe it was the documentary that I watched or something, uh, maybe the book that I read. But from what it was described, the Holocaust happened over years and years of torture. Right. Is it downplaying the torture? No, because it killed six million people. That's a fucking lot. Uh, but for Nanking, it was particularly the first three weeks of the massacre that were deemed the most violent. But within a six-week span, like, 
two to three hundred thousand of the five hundred thousand citizens that lived there were dead. Yeah, statistically. Yeah. Can you believe that some people think the Holocaust didn't exist? Like that it's a whole conspiracy. Whenever you said the title, like the forgotten massacre of the Holocaust, I thought you were going to talk about how people think that the Holocaust is a conspiracy, not going to lie. No, yeah, it's funny that you say that because there are some people that think that this event didn't exist, including like some people I mentioned him later on that are in their fucking Japanese government. I'm sorry, sir. I do have a population overview of it before they left so it had like one million plus oh wow so it reduced the cities (laughs) okay and also don't say you're sorry (laughs) say you're welcome you're Um, welcome (laughs) we're a positive household in this bitch yes um and so over half of them evacuated (laughs) no not over half of them Kristen, because you said no, 500 were left in the oh, city. Oh, yeah, I was thinking... Um, so about half. I was thinking... As they rightfully yeah. should have. It, it would have been me. That's a lot, though. That's yes, a good but amount. I, we also don't know if they, like, went into Even the surrounding... Even safe. Because well, because their surrounding towns did get attacked, so it is still a very dangerous time. Even if you yeah. weren't in the non king area, even if you like made I, it to the refugee camps or any other mm-hmm. safe yeah. place, you could like, have gotten. Uh, intercepted in the woods or on the way exactly. by soldiers or just by mm-hmm. psycho men mm-hmm. yeah they were there for eight years baby they were there a long time Back. long time to be fucking caught and ugh. Ugh. it's fucking disgusting even more disgusting when you really think about the fact that the numbers that i'm stating do not account for the people whose bodies were destroyed by burning or by being thrown into the Yangtze River or, like, by other horrendous, horrendous things that I, like, can't even fathom and how bodies were destroyed. It was also said that, like, when people were kind of freaking out when Nanking was first being taken over, a lot of people kind of like in sheer desperation tried to cross the Yangtze River. I'm I know I'm saying it wrong. I'm so sorry. But they would try to cross the river and would ultimately it was December during this time it was fucking cold, so they would end up dry, uh, drowning or getting hypothermia and just like and it's even harder so when you think of kind of the effects that this whole massacre had on China and the area as a whole. So Obviously, it had happened over an eight-year span, but when this had happened, it was not only the murder of the village and the rape of the village, but they also stole a lot of historical value out of it within the art that they stole. There were jewels that were stolen. There was one of... I don't know if it was the general that got killed, but he was said to get, like, $2 million worth of, like, artwork or just, like, these fancy jewels that were stolen there was one house or one area where it was said to hold like a lot of their capital culture and it was just fucking yeah well their historical scrolls i know that's really big in the chinese culture Mm. and just even those scrolls i think can be embellished in like gold and like obviously historical facts (laughs) and stories and maybe secrets i don't know but it was it was said to be a huge 
huge dev- it was not only for their population obviously like half the town got wiped out it was not only for all of the land and whatnot that was wiped out but just like a lot of their culture and a lot of the value that they right. held with it. and it that was just also happened in the holocaust as well exactly so it immediately became known as the rape of nanking after the oh, war because i just realized not just but like i've been putting it together this whole time it's not just the rape of the people and the rape of their souls and humanity it's the rape of the town and everything in it because it it's the rape of the land the, it's literally the culture the everything it yeah it the fact that they didn't teach us about stuff like this, I understand because you don't want to, you know, be freaking out little kids like this. But I'm like, if you're teaching us the Holocaust, then you should be teaching us this. Yeah, if you're taking me to the Holocaust Museum on a field trip. We spend a fucking year on, like, Texas history alone. How could you not, like, sprinkle in this amount? A like, year? I've spent every year of my goddamn life in Texas history. From middle school to fucking when I got my associate's degree. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It was either Texas history or Texas government or both. Stupid. We need to learn about world lessons. And you know, now (laughs) that I think of it, growing up or whatever in history, um, granted, I was... (laughs) history I had after lunch my junior year and I was very stoned or drunk a lot of the times and I fell asleep a lot of the times and I sat by cute boys and I didn't pay attention but I I know I know we rarely even learned about like Asian stuff at all like, maybe some stuff was mentioned as it was related into USA the and stuff. Of Hiroshima. Yeah, <laughs> but nothing else. It's weird. It's, it's um, the education system. It's I think we should up. just. That's why I don't agree with it. But. So fucked up. After the war, both the Far East International Military Tribunal which was organized by 11 countries, including, like, U.S., U.K., France, Soviet Union, China, blah, 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 blah. And the uh, Nanjing War Criminals Tribunal set up trials in order to prosecute the war criminals that were responsible for the Nanjing Massacre. So, the one story that I will mention is one of the witness, Lu Li Zwing, who was brought in to testify of her experience of what happened during the massacre. And this experience happened to her on December 19th of 1937. I did not get her age. I'm so sorry. But what I did get was that she was seven months pregnant when she was walking or near the Nanking safety zone. It was here that Japanese troops would approach Louis and... It was very much known throughout this time that pregnant women were kind of looked at as a easy murder or kind of like sought after to murder. So they approached her and they would attempt to rape her. She did not 
put up an easy fight. She would end up fighting them. And because of this, the troops would end up stabbing her 30 times, leaving wounds around her face, leg, and abdomen area. Jesus. She would lose consciousness from losing so much blood and would be taken to Drum Tower Hospital, where she would ultimately be saved, though her child would end up dying. Mm -hmm. Her testimony, along with countless others and those who are part of the International Committee for the Nine King Zone, so John Rabe, um, and I didn't write down their names, I'm so sorry, but the others, their journal entries that they wrote would also be used as testimony against it and would ultimately lead to uh, General Matsui being indicted for deliberately and recklessly ignoring his legal duty to take adequate steps to secure the observance and prevent breaches. The Lieutenant General of the 6th Division, Haisao Tani, would also be tried, as well as Princess Sokka. Uh, but Princess Sokka would ultimately be let go to his royal immunity. And like I had mentioned, the fact that Matsui really took a lot of the blame off of him and blamed it on those lower level commanders. So Princess Sokka basically got away scot free. Yeah. <laughs> On November 12th, 1948, Matsui, who was the general, Koki Hirota, who was the foreman, foreign minister at the time, and five other Class A war criminals, including General Haisao Tani and Rensuke Isogai, were convicted of their crimes and sentenced to hang. And this sentence would be carried out on December 23rd of 1948. It was also said that 18 others received lesser sentences for their crimes involving this massacre. And I'm like, there's like how many people in the army? It's like everyone else got no There's a lot. Um, So the reason, I guess, maybe why it is so highly debated and why maybe so little people receive justice for the horrendous crimes that they committed was the fact that right before the Japanese surrendered in August of 1945, the Japanese troops burnt and destroyed nearly all of the evidence, like file evidence that they had. So one interesting fact that I learned was that when the Holocaust was going on, and I guess like when maybe, I don't, maybe it was the Germans, I don't know, someone tried doing the same thing, but they were dumb and they kept a copy of each thing. So that is why for the Holocaust we were able to get so much information. Well, when the Japanese did this, they were smart and they didn't keep a copy. Yeah, no so, evidence. Yeah, when they burnt it, they they burnt it. So about 70% of all wartime documents that were kept by Japanese during this time were destroyed. 70%. So there's 70% of Japanese wartime history that we will just never know anything about. Besides really whatever the... F- it, 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 that blows my mind because you, you just you'll never know what's in those documents they did a really good job so whatever they couldn't burn because it was kind of like in a rush when they were doing this they buried it thankfully some of the documents that they buried were uncovered in the 50s when areas in china i believe it was in the jilin province the Changchun jilin province and the Dalian 
Liaoning province. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But it was when they were doing renovations at this building that they actually uncovered some of the documents that had been buried. And of the said to be 100,000 volumes found, five were related to the massacre. Ooh. And here's where us Westerners come in. In the 1960s, researchers from Nanjing University would condemn the Westerners that were in the area at the time, stating that they, quite frankly, turned a blind eye to the horrors that were happening within the city. According to the group, not only were the foreigners unharmed, which for the small amount that were there and the amount of people that were unharmed, it is kind of crazy how, like, none of them seem to be harmed. Mm. But whatever, that's just me. Mm. And now back to the quote. But amidst the echoing sounds of gunfire as the Japanese carried out their massacre, the foreigners entertained themselves with wine, song, and dance, celebrated Christmas, and ate their fill of roast beef, roast duck, sweet potatoes, and various other fresh food. When they had exhausted their appetites for pleasure, they went home. So, like, they didn't stay there the whole eight years? No. Uh, honestly, a lot of the foreigners that I read, they were gone by, like, the 16th, 17th, and the massacre started on 13th. Yeah. So the, the committee didn't commit. No, they did not commit. I think, I don't honestly don't even know how long John Rape stayed. Um, probably the longest, but I don't know if they stayed the entire eight years. It's doubtful. <laughs> they had to go back uh... home and pitch their stories, dude. <laughs> Or whatever. I, I'm just like, yeah, and fucking sucks for the people that don't have that luxury to just, like, hop on a plane and fucking leave. <laughs> yeah, how they, the Japanese just let them leave? I just, literally, as soon as someone's like, well, you can just move. Well, you can just leave. I'm like, obviously, it's, it's you haven't moved on your own without mummy or daddy's money, because what the fucking fuck? Yeah. It's not that simple, so my bro. do it. In this economy, are you fucking yoking me? Yeah, I mean, I could do it, but I'd be living in the alley. So it would take until August 15th of 1995, like almost over 60 years after this event happened, for the prime Japan's prime minister, Tomichi Mariyama, to give the first formal apology that China would ever hear from Japan about their actions that happened during the war. So basically anyone who's involved is either like dead or barely hanging on. Mm -hmm. Uh, The book did criticize the apology that this mayor made or prime, sorry, prime minister made, whatever. Um, Apparently it wasn't like a written apology. Like it should have respectfully been in their culture. And it was just like a huge thing. And it was like, like I had said, a really big controversy between, between China and Japan at the time. It wasn't, like, even well until 1970s, a lot of people in Japan were kind of dismissing the fact that this event even happened. Uh, Japan had even tried to get... There was this one, like, really famous news or, like, I don't know, like, magazine article thing that tried to get with the Japanese Army Veteran Association 
to have the veterans talk about how the non-king massacre was not as bad as it seemed and instead of them saying like oh yeah it wasn't that bad all of the veterans were like oh no we raped and pillaged and went fucking ham on these citizens and so everyone was like oh fucking shit (laughs) uh but that still doesn't really, you know, stop crazy shit from happening. On February 24th of 2012, Tokyo's governor, Tokyo's governor, Shinotaro Ishihara would straight up deny the fact that this massacre even happened. So if you can vote him out, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if he's still in service, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, as the number of living survivors decreases, the historical value, obviously, like, is decreasing as well. There are only so many accounts that we have of this event. Uh, thankfully, there were a few, I did not write this down, but there was something going on, um, as to where they were getting the remaining victim statements, as well as, like, the family's statements kind of, like, indoctrinated into history, which was really cool to read about. Do you know, or maybe you're about to get to it, um, if the pawn shop owner ended up keeping that photo album or if he donated Mm, it? No, I didn't really read up to... He got them validated and that was kind of it. I don't know if he's going to keep them, if he's going to donate them. I don't know. If he's living in America, he's probably going to sell them. (laughs) Yeah, if I were him... We're in a recession right now. Shit's expensive. I would want to... Well, because also, museums, they may pay you for that stuff, too. Yeah, I'm like, if you're going to donate it, But also, I'm like, who would I trust? (laughs) Like, do I give it to... Obviously not Japan, right? Like, to the Chinese? And like... But I don't know if I trust either one of them. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I don't know, because uh, it wasn't really until 1982 that China was even allowed to talk about the oh incident, uh, according to Chinese government, at least from what I read, this is what I read, this isn't me saying it, it's the article that I read saying it, but the Chinese government wanted to promote the martyrs of class struggle, and seeing as there was no martyr in the Nanking massacre and there was a martyr in communism they wanted uh, to promote communism and not the massacre so it really took until about the 80s for China to talk about it wow mm-hmm. but there are now tens of millions of Chinese and foreign people alike including Japanese people but we'll go all the way to this memorial hall that was made in 1985 to pay their respects and pay remembrance to the victims that fell to this. Uh, it The memorial hall is located right near where the pit of 10,000 corpses was or is. And as of December 20, sorry, and as of December 2016, the memorial hall had a total of 10,615 names engraved into the wall of the victims that lay within that pit Mm. or were known within that event. Uh, On December 13th of 2014, the Chinese government declared the day a national memorial day for the entire nation. So there are mourning events that are held as well as memorial services in order to remember everyone that was involved with that event. 
And on October 9th of 2015, the Nanking Massacre documents that are available or have been available to history were listed in the UNESCO Memory of the World Register, which is meant to safeguard any and all documents associated with the heritage of humanity, which I had never heard about previous to this event. It's honestly, if uh, you're, if that sounds interesting, look into this. This thing is really cool. It has like, like uh, word of mouth and just like old wives tales and just like crazy shit like that. The anything that kind of deals with humanity during the era that we are in, it tries to safeguard those documents. That's so. really cool. I, Very I cool. you'll have to text me that later because yeah. I want to look into that. That's cool. Yeah. Super cool. But ten out of ten recommend uh ten out of ten don't recommend this event mm. in history. But it is I will probably never ever do a case again like this again. It took a piece out of me. I'm not the same person. Um, but I do think that it is important to talk about, especially since a lot of people we see this and we shun away. And though I, I see why we want to shun away and part of me does want to not you know, kind of ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen. It is a very important part of history and these people's lives matter and they need to be talked about. They need to be remembered. This event, it's ridiculous that it's not taught to us. So no matter what topic we discuss, whatever it's about, like just because you ignore it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah. Um, push your schools to teach about this so you don't have to learn it from me my golly gee schools are banning the stupidest of shit like they're never (laughs) gonna teach this shit like the the fact the fact that you have to learn it from me insane but but you're welcome I wouldn't have a job if it weren't for this so thank you well we also don't have a job (laughs) Also, if you want also, to pay us, pay us. tag White Claw, <laughs> uh, follow our Instagram or Twitter, you know, numbers help. We we don't get very many likes on the post. For how many people of y'all listen? How many of y'all listen? You can like a, you can like a silly little photo on Instagram. Please, at R-A-R-W podcast. And I promise it's not like this all the time. And if you thought it was too gross, cool. Send us a case that you would want to hear. Cause Anybody that's ever sent us a recommendation, we have done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Send us. And if you, if you want your name to be said on live uh, garage band recorded. air, <laughs> mm-hmm, on recorded air, then you let us know in the email that you are okay with your name being said by us. And we'll say it. Red rum and red wine podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, guys. I hope you sleep well. Because there uh, will be a next time. There will be a next time, and I won't be sleeping well because (laughs) I had to read all of this. Because also, whatever I say next episode will be fucked up. And mine too. I don't take a break. But seriously, thank you. No, we don't. But thank you, Iris Chang, for being the real MVP and writing a book about all this traumatizing shit. Because it was one thing reading it. I can only imagine writing it, girl. Maybe listen to the podcast. Hope you liked this episode.
Okay, good night. Bye. Too much wine. <laughs> uh.